Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today's guest talks about his experience coming into the leather community over the last three years and is the current president of Onyx Southwest. Later on, we'll get into some hot topics, including naked parties and public play. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. Everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Wilcox Onyx. Uh, hi, Wilcox. Would you mind introducing yourself? Hi, sure. Uh, my name is uh, Wilcox Onyx, and I identify as cis male, and uh, my sexual orientation is gay, and I've been now in the leather community officially two years, but I like to say three. Cool, cool. So you and I have been around maybe about the same amount of time. Yeah, we've been around the block. <laughs> <laughs> At least once. At least once or twice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Wilcox, uh, this is the second time that we've been on Leather Talk. The first time we actually did a Pride event for Fight and Weehillville. So uh, how, how was that for you? Well, first, congratulations to you. I think you did a really good job with the video. Uh, everybody that I spoke with uh, who had a chance to see it uh, were very proud and felt uh, that it was a great representation of leather. And it really spoke to where we are socially, politically, with everything that's going on in the world. So uh, I think for a lot of people, it was a great reprieve uh, from the woes of the day uh, to really sit down and focus on leather. So yeah, it was great. Yeah, absolutely. I was super excited because it was like, you know, I, my podcast and everything is like relatively new. And so just to get on, like get that much visibility is kind of, was like kind of a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that w- when I looked back and I watched it, I saw kind of what I, where I see the, the future of leather going. Like I saw the face of where I see the future of leather going. And I've said it in, you know, they, they asked me a question at my competition once, like, where do you see the future of leather community going? And I said, I don't remember exactly word for word, but the gist of it was, you know, like I see us moving forward in in diversity and inclusivity. And when you look back, you see yourself, you see Puck Onyx, you see Anna Algos, you see women, you see men, you see pups, you see all different colors of people. And I was just super excited to kind of show that face of leather because for so long we've seen, you know, the classic cis white male only as a reflection of what leather is. And it's so much more than that. Oh, no, I totally agree. You know, I found myself thinking if I were younger or if my younger self had a chance and opportunity to see that video, I probably would have gotten more involved in leather a lot sooner. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so my hope and wish out of that video is that young people had a chance and opportunity to see it and became motivated, inspired, uh, open to the idea of exploring the uh, leather community in a more deeper, meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of, you know, younger people getting into the community, how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I have two ages. Uh, my gay age is uh, 36. <laughs> okay. my, my biological age is uh, 46. 
All right. Nice. Cool. So when you say your gay age, you mean by the time you came out or? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Um, I mean, on the surface, I just think that uh, I've been aging very well. So I'm going to say part of it is my genes. (laughs) So I don't (laughs) feel like I look or act like I'm 46. Uh, Actually, you know, uh, my mom was really young when she had me. So when I hear the number 46, I think of my grandparents uh, because they were young grandparents. Uh, and so, yeah, for me, I still, even though I'm 46 now, I still try to kind of wrap my head around it. Um, but as far as the 36, I, I really do think it does kind of speak to this idea of when you come out. It's all the repressed stuff, especially for me growing up in a very conservative uh, family in a conservative, somewhat conservative city, Washington, D.C. It's probably not progressive and conservative, mm-hmm. um, but certainly conservative in my household. Uh, and then not having a chance to kind of explore what it means to be a gay person. Uh, and so I feel like, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm still trying to catch up and make up for lost time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's that running joke, you know, that guys are like way younger than they actually are sexually. And that's why we want to fuck everything all the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so let's talk a little bit about that. You So you say you grew up in a conservative family. When did you I mean, did you ever like officially come out or did you just kind of start being you? Yeah, I did officially come out. Um, I think, well, first in answering this question is I think it's important to note how my family perceived me. Um, I like to say that I was the white sheep in the family, (laughs) being in a black family. (laughs) I do identify as African-American. And so, yeah, I was always the odd kid. Um, And so my mother was uh, extremely protective of me. And so much that she was protective of me in relation to the other family members. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, because I'm the oldest of uh, three boys, uh, she felt it was her responsibility to kind of clear the way for me to explore and to figure out what I wanted to do in the world. And so when I decided and I came home, if this was like in uh, first, maybe second grade, uh, I said I wanted to play the violin. Trust me, in a little neighborhood that we <laughs> grew up in or I grew up in, in uh, basically Southeast D.C., uh, you know, no one was playing the violin. Mm-hmm. And so she, she made sure that, you know, I had a space and I had a place to practice and that I could do it and I could explore it. And I still play today. Um, I think typically with other adults and family members, I was always identified as like the old soul or very sensitive, mm-hmm. uh, which I later learned was code for, well, he's not going to be a man's man kind of thing. He's not going to be a uh, steak and potato eating kind of guy. Uh, he'll be a little bit more uh, probably sophisticated in a way that is not typically seen with uh, black male identity. Mm. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I didn't have the words to articulate that growing up, uh, but I did know and recognize for me myself that I, I felt different than everyone else. Um, I certainly knew the gay thing was a thing because I felt myself uh, attracted to all things masculine, but not, not the toxic masculinity. Uh, but I just needed to socially be around a lot of guys. And it was easy to do because I had two younger brothers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of my cousins, are, are they identify as cis male. Uh, and so I had a lot of that energy around and I felt uh, able to explore in a way of what it me- means to be a man separate from kind of my sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I got a lot of you know affirmation about what it means to be a black man in this world, some of the challenges uh, that I'll uh, have to deal with. I got the talk about dealing with the police uh, as a kid. Uh, and so by the time I got to high school, uh, it really was just me feeling comfortable about me being Wilcox, me being uh, a black man, 
uh, and then trying to figure out, okay, so where does the sexual orientation part fill, in, fill, fill into all of this? I think the thing that worked in my favor, especially being in this conservative family, is that I really wasn't looking to date anyone. And so there was no pressure for me to find a, a girlfriend. In fact, it was kind of frowned upon in my family because you're not really supposed to start dating until you're looking to have a wife. And clearly my parents didn't want me to have a wife when I was 14 years old. So right. I didn't feel pressure from them or from my other family members. Uh, the most really I got was that like, he's a little different than everybody else. So we'll have to wait and see how this turns out. So when it comes to like the, the role of the man in, in like your family and, and the culture that you grew up in, um, I guess, can we talk a little bit about what that is in more depth? Cause I come from a Latino family. We have the machismo thing. And obviously, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up, I could not help but be just me very feminine. And I remember growing up and, you know, my mother saying like, when are you going to start dating girls? I was like 12. And I'm like, <laughs> like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. but my, and then my grandmother, you know, from day one was just like, oh, well, when you grow up and you carry on the family name, you're going to have five kids. Like we have like this whole like cultural pressure to get married and have kids and be the man. And I just wonder how that differs from your setup. Uh, it was very different for me. I, I, I wasn't necessarily getting those messages of like, when you become a man, these are the things that you have to do. Uh, I think maybe there was some subtext that came directly from my father uh, in the sense that he, you know, he identifies as a straight cis male man. Uh, and for him, uh, the, the greatest things I got out of like what that definition of being a black man is going to be like from him is that you, you had to provide for your family. Uh, he was really kind of a big thing about that because I think he struggled himself trying to provide for us. It's very difficult to do that. Uh, especially if you're working in a trade, which, you know, he works in construction or did, he, he did, and he still continues to work in construction. And so, you know, he, he was fine, but he wasn't making the money that he wanted to make. Mm -hmm. uh, I think also there was this uh, sense of making sure my relationship and with women would be protective, that he saw women as being weaker and that men needed to step in and protect them. And so, when I think about my masculinity, my, my first thing, especially around women or people that, in my mind, I, I deem need to be protected, I, I want to jump in and be like, well, no, no, you can't do that. And so, you know, I think over the years, I've had to kind of temper it. Now, with mm -hmm. my mother, it was very different. My mother grew up as a tomboy. It's funny to go back and watch and look at photos from the time that my mother was a child uh, up to when she was a teenager. Uh, and you know, she, she wore jeans and, and t-shirts and she, she looked like Queen Latifah, you know, very <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, almost like the, a little bit in the middle of the kind of the gender binary and stuff. Uh, and even described herself as a tomboy and even interacted with my father, uh, in that way. Cause it was interesting, you know, you're getting the message from your father that you have to protect women. And then I have this very strong female <laughs> mother who's just like, I will kick ass if I have to kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> and so like for me trying to kind of suss all that out, uh, just left me with feeling like, okay, I could just do my thing. And, you know, yes, I can, I can appease both of my parents and wind up somewhere in the middle and everything will be fine. Hmm. <laughs> So when did you find out or discover that you were attracted to men or masculinity? Uh, I think I knew pretty early on. I mean, I remember going to my uh, cousin's house uh, one time, <clears throat> female cousin, uh, and going into her bedroom. And, you know, this was very unfamiliar to me because I grew up, I have two younger brothers. And so it was all trucks and, and, and airplanes and stuff like that. And then going to this cousin's house and she had the whole Barbie dream house. Oh my gosh, you could not tear me away from it. And so <laughs> I knew that I wasn't necessarily supposed to be like 
you know, I had to fake it a little bit. I knew that I had to pretend like, oh, I'm just uh, like, I, I'm an archaeologist and I'm going into a young black girl's room to see how she spends her free time. <laughs> and it's at the research. And I was loving, it. I was like, oh my God, her outfits are so die for they're fabulous. <laughs> like, I was like, she even had the car. I was just like, and I was like, I put her in the car. We're going to go find Ken and uh, all that stuff. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I, I knew kind of like uh, from that experience that uh, I, I had to temper how I interacted with people. Um, and so uh, for me, the, the like trying to uh, come to the point of like, okay, I'm gay, that didn't for me, I, th- I don't think it really kind of really firmly started to happen for me until high school. I think mm. the time before that, uh, I knew that there was a thing uh, about being gay. Um, and I knew that I was attracted uh, to other guys. And if given a choice, if I were to help hang out with a female fr- friend versus the male friend, I would always choose the male friend. I just like that energy. Um, and so it really wasn't until high school uh, in my junior, senior year that I started dating uh, that I, I realized that I needed to kind of really kind of flush this out and figure out specifically what I, I needed to do uh, if I were going to be straight, if I were going to be gay, if I were going to be bisexual, whatever, stuff like that. So, Yeah. Do you remember your first gay kiss? Mm, gay kiss. Yes. Uh, it was uh, with uh, Ernest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he lived in my neighborhood. And he. my neighborhood is uh, unique in the sense that my parents met in that neighborhood. So my grandparents had houses across the street from one another. Okay. <laughs> so everybody knew me. So for me to be able to explore gay anything was not going to happen because everybody see my big head bopping down the street and they go, where's he going? You know, because like, I couldn't do anything without somebody not knowing me. And plus, on my father's side, uh, I have uh, three uncles and they were notorious in the neighborhood for doing all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, I come bopping along. It's just like I can't get away with anyway. But with uh, Ernest, uh, he moved in uh, my last year of middle school. So I was in probably about seventh grade. And there was just something about him, like, you know, we would uh, lock eyes, but with him, it was more sexual. Like, I was more kind of like, oh, he's kind of cute, and I could totally kind of get with him. And him, he was, like, clearly more experienced than I was. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, uh, when I would interact with him, it was always, like, the longing gazes, or he would sit back and just rub his chest. And I was just like... Like, what's going on here? Like, nobody had ever done that to me before. Uh, and so <laughs> I, I remember maybe it, was, it had to have been summertime because it was in the middle of the day and he had the house to himself. And so all the adults were gone and whoever was in the house. And I went over to uh, play with him. And, uh, of course, it was like, he was like, you want to play hide and seek? Of course I want to play hide and seek. <laughs> uh, so where am I going to hide? I uh, hid in the bed under the sheets. <laughs> and then he's like, I found you. And then that's where we kissed. Yeah, I totally wow. haven't thought about it so long. Yeah. That is so sweet, actually. Yeah. I think there was an innocence about it. And we were friends uh, that whole time. And then, unfortunately, my, uh, my parents had gotten divorced by that time. Uh, and we relocated. And mm. so I stayed, we relocated to a different part of the city, but I stayed in contact with him. And there were maybe, I would say, three times that Ernest would, uh, he would play hooky. Uh, and I would play hooky. And we would meet at my house. Uh, and we'd just fool around and hang out and do all kinds of stuff. So it was kind of cool. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think you were saying earlier off record, you know, that people mistake you for being a straight guy. Mm -hmm. Do you think that maybe like your presentation of masculinity kind of helped you 
have the freedom to navigate the waters and not worry too much about people figuring you out? Or were you still kind of like freaked out about people finding out? Yeah, I, I didn't I, I didn't worry about it in part. Uh, and I have to thank my brothers for this. My brothers, they're, they're rough and tumble boys. They're, they're very different than me. I mean, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, I would venture to say they they have a toe inside toxic masculinity. A toe. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm trying to be protective of my brothers. I love my brothers. Uh, But yeah, so that they made it very clear, like where they stood and how they saw their sense of male identity. And so I, you know, it's hard to be the odd man out. And so with them, it was like the playing sports with them and, and wrestling and fighting and like, you know, beating each other up and stuff. So for me, because I had that experience from day one, when I went into social studies, especially at school, like I remember when we made that move uh, after I left Ernest, uh, my family relocated, uh, that I wound up at a school and, you know, these boys started like, oh, we're going to, you're the new guy and we're going to make a sissy of you and we're going to fight you and stuff. And I stood up, I was like, come on, let's do it. We're going to do it right now. And, and they were shocked. <laughs> and the only reason I was able to stand up for myself and be like, if I have to fight all of you, let's, let's do it. Because we're going to do it now in September because we're not going to be doing this game all school year. And I was very clear. And they were like, ooh, ah. And they all sat down. They were like, okay, you cool, you cool. I said, I know I'm cool. <laughs> <laughs> I love your family. <laughs> So, so yeah, yeah. Wow. So let's let's skip forward a little bit. So you know, you, you came out d- during that time. Now you mentioned before that you were married. How long were you married for? Well, not legally married because, of course, of gay marriage. But I, I met a, a guy, uh, Randy, uh, when I was uh, working in Baltimore, uh, and uh, so this is after college. And so at the time, I think I was like twenty three, twenty four. Uh, and we just fell head over heels uh, with one another. Uh, and just to fast forward quickly, we wound up being together for 18 years. So in a lot of ways, we were married because we owned property together. We had joint bank accounts. I mean, we were doing everything heterosexual couples were doing, but we just weren't legally married. Um, and that was a great experience. Uh, you know, I, I love being with them. Um, and I still care very deeply for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I decided to end it in part because he was struggling with coming out to his family, uh, which is very different because he grew up Filipino. He's first generation. Both his parents were uh, raised and born uh, abroad in the Philippines. Uh, So for him, even in his 20s and then his 30s, he just was resistant to coming out to his parents. He just felt like it would just break their heart and spirit and he he couldn't do it. And I just felt, you know, I had taken our relationship so far to the point where I could ignore that to the point where I had to take notice. Uh, and, and I started to see the world change around me. And I was just like, I don't want to be behind anymore. I was behind when I was younger and I couldn't come out and really explore what it meant, or at least what I felt it meant to be a, a, a young gay man or a young gay boy. Uh, and I just don't want to do this in my adult life where I have to kind of hide uh, some portion of my life from everyone. Like, you know, I'm gay everywhere else, you know, so if I'm going to be with this person, I need to be gay with him in front of his family and all that other stuff like that. So we decided that, you know, it was probably best at that point to just go our separate ways. And there you have it. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I've heard of, you know, relationships ending like that before. um, And it's it's just rough because, like, on one hand, you don't want him to, like, lose the relationship with his family. At the same time, like, how long are you going to continue hiding, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I know, and I know in my heart, if he had come out to his family, 
they would have embraced them like a hundred percent. I just know. I mean, forget you know being you know immigrants, being Filipino. Forget you know being ensconced in uh, Catholicism and all the religious stuff. They were going to accept them no matter what. Um, but you know, he had to believe that. It, it wasn't enough for me to believe it. So here right. we are. Right. Well, and you currently you have several partners. I do. Uh, okay. So now I'm practicing as a uh, uh, polyamorous person. Uh, and so the way this is working out for me, or at least where it is right now today, uh, I have uh, three boyfriends at different stages that I'm kind of dating them. So the first boyfriend is my primary boyfriend. I live with him. Uh, he's older. He is uh, 64. Um, and he's into leather. He's a great guy. He is the, the center of my world. And it's working out very well. Uh, unlike me, he came out a lot later uh, in life. I think he was in his uh, mid fifties when he came out. Uh, so it's all all of this is still kind of new for him. But you know, he's making up for like a lot of lost time and stuff. Hmm. Uh, and it's actually working out very well. So we live together. Uh, and then I have a second boyfriend who's because uh, we're here in Orange County, and because of the COVID nineteen, the, the other boyfriend uh, is in LA. Uh, and he uh, lives and takes care of his uh, older grandmother, who's like in her 80s. And mm-hmm. so we haven't seen each other uh, for ever since we went on lockdown, essentially quarantined. Um, but yeah, I, I knew him before I knew my boyfriend now. Uh, and so, <clears throat> but that's going great. I talk to him every day. You know, we Skype and we FaceTime and all that stuff. Um, but I can't wait till we get to a point where we can finally vaccine and actually reconnect again. Uh, and then a third guy is someone that I'm dating with my primary boyfriend. And so this is kind of we're in the cultivation phase and trying to kind of figure out uh, kind of how to move forward. And so, you know, he clearly is interested in both of us and uh, we equally like him and we hang out with him. In fact, he's the only person uh, outside of the two of us that we've invited into the house uh, since the uh, quarantine. Uh, and so, yeah, that's going well. And we see each other about once or twice a week. And we do fun stuff and go out to movies before COVID and stuff and go out to bars and hang out and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's where I'm at right now. So, essentially, you have, like, one boyfriend on the side, your primary boyfriend, and then you and your primary boyfriend have a boyfriend together. Exactly. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least that's how it is today. You you never know. It's going to change. It might change, right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's one of the great things uh, I love about this is that it's always fresh and different. Uh, and especially if you get uh, people within the nucleus that you vibe with and stuff. And so, you know, my goal ultimately is always to uh, listen and have an open uh, heart and open mind uh, with engaging with people. Uh, because I, I want people to, you know, wake up in the morning and feel like, okay, I feel good about the people I have in my, in my orbit and how we connect with one another. And so, yeah, but I think on a very intellectual level, my hope is, is that uh, I would have uh, polyam- polyamorous family, we would all live in the same house together. And I imagine it being more than three guys. Like, I would love to have, like, it'd be like a five guy thing and we all live together. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, this is like a whole, like, 180 from your previous 18 year heteronormative relationship. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I shouldn't say heteronormative, but, you know, traditional. <laughs> right. More traditional. <laughs> the, the blueprint. Right, right. The, the, the thousand year blueprint. <laughs> so, did you, like, plan this out? Like, as soon as you broke up, you're like, I'm going to be in a polyamorous relationship. Or did you just kind of find your way there eventually? Well, I, I basically, went through a lot of life changes over a two or three year period. And so ending that relationship, 
uh, deciding to move back to California from Washington, D.C., uh, switching a new job. Uh, so there were a lot of changes. And so you spend a lot of time uh, being uh, reflective. Uh, you know, for me, I did a lot of the meta, think, uh, meta thinking about, okay, who are we in the universe and how does it relate to the universe and the galaxy and our solar system <laughs> and try not to get myself in an existential crisis. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it also is in a very practical reflection, uh, which is, okay, well, what's going to make me happy and what am I willing uh, to uh, explore and to kind of suss out for myself that uh, could possibly lead to a lifetime of happiness. And so I was I was open to it. Still, I am open to this idea of polyamory because, you know, I'm a very complex person like most people are. I would even say it like all people are. And so my hope is, is that I can find something that works with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great that we have that blueprint out there, uh, like, uh, you know, based on the heteronormative uh, idea of what uh, relationship, adult relationships look like. But I, I like this idea that I can do my own thing. And what greater gift of being a gay man than having that flexibility. So I, I'm not going to like turn that gift down. I, I want to see if I can explore it and, and get the best use out of the gift of being a gay man to be able to kind of create and build my own family. Yeah, absolutely. So you, um, I, I think I should, I don't know. I, I, can I just ask the question that we're all wondering is, um, do you guys just have like four-way orgies all the time with each other? <laughs> I mean, like, how does this... <laughs> No, uh, it doesn't work that way. Uh, so with my partner in LA, uh, he and I, the, he strictly dates me. You know, he's cool with me being polyamorous and having other boyfriends, uh, but he has no interest in really trying to uproot what he has in place uh, to, to do a more kind of like, well, how can we do this so that we can bring other people in? Mm-hmm. And while we do hang out and do stuff socially, sexually, nothing happens between that boyfriend and anybody else that I'm, uh, I'm kind of hooking up and meeting and, and involved with uh, currently. So, yeah, he and I are one-on-one. Uh, but with the two remaining boyfriends, yeah, we all play together. We keep it open. Uh, yes, we do a lot of stuff together. Like my, one of my favorite things is that uh, uh, I'm big into nudity. Uh, in fact, when I lived in D.C., I first got into nudity through a friend who's part of an organization called Raising in the Sun, uh, which is a nudist group uh, specifically for gay black men. First of all, when I first heard of this, I was like, what? <laughs> this exists? <laughs> uh, and then second, I was like, where do I sign up? And so uh, from the very first time I, I went to an event and I was just like, this is amazing. My life, the way I see my body and how I interact with gay men and nudity and exhibitionism and being a voyeur, I was like, oh, this is all great and stuff. So. I never wanted to lose that when I decided to relocate to California. So what I've been doing uh, with my uh, boyfriends is that we host uh, nude parties here at the house. At least we were doing it uh, before COVID. Uh, So like the last one, in fact, that we did was we did a naked Super Bowl party night. So everybody had to wear like jock straps or just wear, you can only wear one piece of gear. So you, you could just do jock strap by itself or you could do like the jersey and then have your dick hanging out and doing whatever, walking around naked, or you could wear like a football cap and stuff like that. And it was amazing. Like I've done this party pretty much every year consistently. Uh, and maybe there were a couple of years I missed it, but uh, for the idea of this like getting together, watching sports together, there's no sex. It's just all about just being nude uh, and enjoying that space, socializing, watching football, and then the party ends. Or That's does it? Awesome. Or does the party end? <laughs> <laughs> or did it I, just begin? <laughs> uh, right. Well, I, I make it very clear because, you know, I really do see myself uh, as an educator in all things, all aspects of my life. And so 
you know, I know the importance of having that experience of just being naked around other men. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I don't want people who participate to lose that and fear that then it's going to turn into a big orgy. And then it becomes, well, how do I perform and what do I do sexually and how do I feel and engage? Like, so what I do is I basically run two parties in one. So the first half of the night is just all watching the football. You're naked, you're walking around, you're drinking, you're socializing, hanging out. Uh, And then usually when the game is over and I feel like the conversation has kind of quieted down, uh, usually I do a boner check. (laughs) Because <laughs> people know, people know that I'm about to shut that party part of the party down, and so I say, okay, so the official nudity of being naked part of the party is over. Uh, if you're not interested in doing like some sex play stuff, this is probably your invitation to leave if you're not comfortable. Uh, but my hope is that everybody will stay, and then I let people play appropriately. Uh, you know, making sure that we practice consent and that we're being safe as possible, and that uh, people feel. Uh, taken care of. So yeah, it's always a fun night. I like that. Uh, yeah. Cause you're right. Like adding sex does add a whole dynamic to it. People then have to ask themselves like, well, am I, you know, is everybody here safe? Like, do I trust everybody? Am I going to be the only bottom? Am I going to be the only bottom? Do I want, you know, do I want to have sex with people without a condom on? Like all of these questions, yeah. you know, uh, start to come up. So yeah, that's really awesome that you kind of like make it an official thing. So. Well, again, I have to thank the folks uh, with uh, Raisin and the Sun. They ran their, their parties uh, in a very similar format. Uh, and I think for me, when I started doing it in my 20s, if you told me that, you know, there was going to be a big orgy afterwards or during or whatever, I would have not gone and participated. But the idea of just being naked and out, I was like, I can do that. I can be a voyeur. I can be an exhibitionist and feel comfortable with that. And to take the sex part off, it just made all the difference. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Okay, so all of this sounds really sexy. Um, are you naked now? <laughs> I'm in a dock trap uh-huh. on my leather vest. Nice. And I got my uh, vibrator. Let me see if I can. Sometimes it can be really loud. Sometimes it's like whatever. I turned it off earlier because it was like, oh, well, it's, it's, yeah. can you hear it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let me play my favorite setting. That's like when I'm really trying to calm. <laughs> Did you hear the uh, decibel level go up a little bit? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, this is, I think, the highest. That's like I'm trying to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many guys are at home on their doing their work with a vibrator between their legs. Oh, totally. I, like I've done it a couple of times, especially for the beer busts that we hold online and stuff. So but after a while, it gets to be a little loud, and I'm just like, uh, I don't want to <laughs> draw attention to myself. But there's one setting on here that it sounds like a toothbrush. Uh, yeah. I like the variations, like when it does like six or seven different things at the same time. Oh, this is a good one because it's like da 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 da, da and you're like, don't stop, and then it stops. <laughs> you little slut. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. We're in a, you know <laughs> social distancing. Social distancing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, so I just have now we have let, let's get into leather because obviously you're a, a leather man. When was the first time you experienced leather? Uh, to actually wear and to have leather. Well, I think there's two different things. So when I first decided to explore it more, uh, I was still in DC. Uh, I was kind of at the end of that 18 year relationship because uh, mm-hmm. we knew in a relationship. Like I, I never went to bars and we never did anything like that. We were too busy. To, playing house out in the suburbs. So at the end of that, going into that transition, uh, I had always had an interest in going into the uh, DC Eagle um, on New York Avenue, uh, which is no longer there. Uh, it's now over in Benning Road. And I think I read recently that they may be closing or have closed yeah. uh, because of COVID. So anyway, 
uh, yeah, that was really the first, like, let me go see some leather stuff. Let me go to a leather bar. And I actually still remember it. I remember going in, uh, dressing my street clothes, and I don't think they had a theme night. I think it was just some random, like, Sunday afternoon. Um, and it was packed. It was full of guys. Uh, but I do remember seeing an, another white guy who was my height, like, which is rare because I tend to, I'm like 6'2", six, 6'3". Six, and so I tend to be on average taller than a lot of people or with the tall people. I'm at the beginning of the tall people. So, and he was about my height, if not a little taller. And I just remember locking eyes with him. But he wore like those crew shirts, with the multicolors. They're usually in uh, horizontal, uh, thick stripes. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like something out of like J. Crew and stuff. And <laughs> but still being nervous about being in a leather bar. And so I was still trying to kind of figure it out. And so I decided because really my task at that time was just to take in the space and really kind of scope it out so that I could come back and, and then get more comfortable. Uh, I didn't pursue him, uh, but I do remember having a good time and liking it. And, you know, even uh, when they made the decision to move to the new space, I think it was because of uh, rent increases and gentrification mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, and they moved a little further out. Uh, I would go to uh, their new location and, and loved it equally. But by that point, by the time I started going on a regular basis and going to some of the Onyx events and, and the leather uh, events with uh, MAL and so forth, that uh, <clears throat> I stopped going because I was relocating and I moved to California. So, uh, yeah, it's always been great. Now, the other part to this is the like my first like like specifically going out and looking for leather, uh, like gear. Uh, <clears throat> I was on vacation with my dear friend, uh, Stephen, and so we both flew down and uh, went to the Phoenix Bar. Uh, and I think Rawhide is down there in uh, New Orleans. And uh, I remember going to the bar and he and I together and just meeting great people and hanging out and drinking and then looking and then seeing, I was like, oh my God, they have a whole store filled with leather gear. Uh, and I had I, when I went into the bar, I didn't know that this store was inside the bar itself. Uh, so I was not in the mindset that I would be buying any gear. Uh, but the guy who was running the register actually uh, makes his own leather harnesses and other uh, leather gear. Uh, and he was just like so wonderful. We tried on like everything he had in the store. Uh, and so he fitted me for a piece and I came back a little later in the week cause I was there for an entire week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I got my first custom made leather vest, uh, that oh, leather wow. vest, I'm sorry, uh, leather harness. Wow. I'm wearing my vest right now. That's why I said vest. Uh, but yeah, the harness is great. And I still have it. It still fits me in a way that I feel sexy. I feel, uh, empowered. I feel, I feel good and, and I love it. So, yeah. That's wow, how exciting. Did you like put it on immediately and go out to the bar oh, right totally. after? <laughs> oh, totally. I think I slept in it. And <laughs> even when I got home, I would like, you know, because I didn't want people to know I had it on and stuff. And so I would wear like two or three shirts <laughs> on top of it because <laughs> it makes your shoulders really broad and stuff. And I was just like, okay, I, I want to, because I like the way it feels and it, it just pulls everything in. Yeah. And especially because it was custom made for my body at that time. I was just like, oh, I was like, I was loving it. So yeah. And it's still my favorite piece. I bet you it felt like a glove, like this, like hugging your body. Oh yeah, what I like, what I liked about it is, and still like about it, is that it's versatile. So there are three different looks with it, uh, so that uh, the hooks that fall under the armpits, uh, there are additional leather straps that can tie uh, to whatever pants or jeans or whatever you're wearing and stuff. And so I, I don't wear it that way a lot, but I do like uh, the the upper part, the, the 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 body of the harness. And so yeah, that's like my favorite thing to put on and feel sexy. Does it like go across your chest or does it? Yeah, I think it's uh, called a bulldog harness. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. All so right. there's a strap that goes across the top of the chest, uh, and then it loops under the arms, and there's a similar strap in the back. 
So, yeah. I think it's so funny that you say you slept in it because it reminds me of, um, I, I, I credit my first harness really from Mr. S cause that's like where I intentionally went out to buy a harness, but like the mm-hmm. year prior at the bullet bar, I don't know if you know the bullet bar well, but there, there's like a little shop in the back and, mm-hmm. um, I was like, I think it was Cinco de Mayo. I was there with some girlfriends. And this was before I even like thought about getting into leather. And I remember, I don't know who the salesperson was, but he was good because he like helped me into this red harness that you probably have seen on Instagram and Mm -hmm. like straps it in and like adjusts it and everything. He's like, it looks great on you. Do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I don't know. I was like drunk. And then he's like, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, of course I want it. And he's like, he's like, uh, well, do you have a tab at the bar? I'm like, yeah, run it, run it. I have a credit card. <laughs> and I woke up the next day with a sombrero and a red harness. <laughs> <laughs> that is a sign you had a good night. <laughs> yeah, if you end the night with more than what you came in with, that's always a good sign. Right, right. <laughs> But that, that wasn't an expensive, I think it was like 80, 60 to $80. Cause it was like on, I don't know what it was. It was cheaper, but I, I love that harness, but yeah, I always tell my friends that are new to leather. In fact, it just helped a really close and dear friend. He's still back in the DC area. And I told him, I said, yeah, you could go out and, and buy stuff off the rack and it'll fit and it'll look fine. But if you really want to fall in love with the piece, and especially if it's your first piece, you want it to be something you're going to remember and have a story behind, which is why I like mine. The fact that I, so I'm traveling and out with my a friend that I really liked and enjoyed being with and in a great city that I also adore and love. Uh, and then I got this great piece of leather. And, you know, every time I put it on, all those good memories that are associated with that piece come flooding back. And I'm just like, yeah, this is the right choice. So yeah, if you can get it custom made and, and get a great story behind it, you're on the ball. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it is about the experience. And that that's why I credit, you know, Mr. S as my first real harness, because that, that, like I said, was the intentional time when I went in and I was like, started, that was my first step into leather, really. Um, but okay, so you're back in here, here in LA now. Let's talk a little bit about how you've been getting involved with leather since you moved here. You've been here for how many, a couple years now? Yeah, this is, uh, I think this summer will be marked the third year. So when I relocated from DC, the the first year I knew I wanted to do leather. You know, uh, prior to that and being in DC, you know, I had gone to again a lot of Onyx events and did MAL maybe three times, maybe four. Uh, did IML one summer uh, because I thought instead of moving to California, I would uh, move to Chicago. And five of my closest friends uh, that I'd been friends with most of my adult life, they all relocated to Chicago and they knew I wasn't thinking of moving. They were trying to recruit me to come live in Chicago (laughs) with them. And I was like, it's too cold. (laughs) (laughs) But I did spend a summer in Chicago and, you know, just had a really great. So that summer in Chicago really got me even more motivated so that when I moved to California uh, that fall, that I was just like, yeah, I got to really make love of the center of my world. And so, you know, I just started going to uh, Eagle LA and specifically trying to go to uh, all the events hosted by uh, Onyx Southwest. And it was just magical and, you know, just meeting really cool people. And it was great for me because I didn't know a lot of people in LA. I think LA is the first city in a long time where I've moved somewhere uh, and, and knew absolutely no one really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, it was great because I was in this mindset of making friends and connecting with people. I mean, the sex and everything is always great and fun, but you know, for me, I get more joy and satisfaction out of making uh, meaningful connections with people. 
Absolutely. I, I will ask you some more sexual questions in a bit, but since you mentioned Onyx, you are the current president of Onyx. Is that right? I am. I know it was a fast two years. So <laughs> I was going to say, so how you just like jump into the pool and you become the coach? Like, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of my my modus operandi. Uh, that uh, I, I aim big. Uh, say, you know, what is it? The aim for the stars, land on the moon. Right. Uh, and so that's what I did. I always do. I, I think that's important to that. You have to stretch yourself. Uh, so yeah, I, I kind of puddled around the first year, just going to bar events and stuff like that. But about the second year, I knew this is what I really wanted to do, and I, I really like the guys associated with uh, Onyx Southwest. Uh, so I started, you know, just showing up, volunteering, offering my service wherever I could. Uh, eventually applied, <laughs> got in, and so for really one year, I was the uh, pledge master and sergeant of arms for uh, Onyx Southwest. And I, I loved it. It was great. And it really speaks to me being an extrovert and going, putting myself out and meeting people. And so I put in some great brothers in just that one year time. I mean, I, of course, you want to bring in like 5 million people. But uh, the guys that I, I, I started working with and got them through the pledge process and eventually got them through their induction ceremony, I was just like, yeah, it, it's great. Like, I remember my induction ceremony, but for the guys that I brought in, and to see them kind of move forward, I was like, oh, you kind of your legacy is playing out before you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was always so proud of that. So when the opportunity came up for a run for the president, uh, really only one person uh, submitted their name to be considered. And I think in any organization, you want to make sure that you have the greatest diversity, uh, not physical necessarily, but a perspective and mindset. Uh, and so that the membership didn't feel like, oh, well, only one person ran. Uh, so we really only have one choice. And so we just go with that one choice. But, you know, I figured if I put my name in and just kind of have a deeper conversation about how we can move the organization forward, how we can build on the strengths uh, that we have, how we can be a better organization and get even more people more involved. Uh, and I put, a for, I put forward a platform that I think the guys really liked and bought into and still continue to support and buy into. Uh, and it's been a great. It's only been about so what, seven or eight months now. And uh, yeah, I love it. It's great. So it sounds to me like, you know, I, I'm not a member of Onyx, but I, I do know at this point now a few Onyx members. Um, and, and Chad Onyx came on the podcast. He's episode two or three. Mm-hmm. And talks a little bit about about Onyx, but what I think is so special from just for me looking on the outside in is that Onyx really is like a real reflection of what leather really could mean and should mean really like like you said you see the legacy unfolding before your eyes and that's what's so special to me about leather like it's not just a fashion choice it's not just about kink or sex but it's about creating a family it's about creating a legacy and and i just see that reflected so much in the onyx organization yeah what, well what still impresses me is the idea that onyx has been doing this for 25 years you know, remember that it had to start somewhere. And 25 years ago, it started with just one chapter. Mm -hmm. uh, and to see uh, multiple cities and, and regions of the country uh, see the value of uh, building relationships, uh, building those bridges that bring people together, it is in fact magical. Uh, and it, it, I think in a lot of ways, uh, both consciously and subconsciously, it's what we all want. We want to be a part of a group where we feel ex accepted, where we feel celebrated, uh, where we feel that there's this mutual connection and that we have a vision uh, going forward that we all share together. And what Onyx has done in 25 years has shown 
that that can happen and it can be done uh, in a very holistic and healthy and reaffirming way. And so as much as we can continue that legacy, and as I look at young people who are interested in leather and as I talk with them and, and answer their questions and, and try to give them the lay of the land, uh, the one thing I always try to stress with them is the, the, the sense of brotherhood, the sense of connecting uh, with another person in a meaningful way, in a way uh, that uh, adds value to this experience. So like you said, it just doesn't become a fashion show. It becomes something sig- significantly more than that. Absolutely. Well, I do want to ask you a little bit about more about Onyx and your experience with with that. But um, you know, for those who haven't listened to Chad's episode and might not know what Onyx is, would you mind just kind of doing a quick little description of what Onyx itself is and what it stands for? Sure. So uh, Onyx really is uh, set in place to bridge. Uh, the community that historically within the leather community, it has been a community that has been predominantly white. Uh, and so that 25 years ago, this was seen as a way and opportunity uh, to onboard men of color, people of color, uh, in a way that they could learn about leather, uh, learn about the discipline necessary uh, to kind of navigate the community, to learn about the history and the pride associated with the community, uh, to learn about the service and how we help uh, others in our community uh, in a way that was safe uh, mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't always have to be a conversation of, well, I'm the one person of color in a group of predominantly white men, uh, for example. And so to have this uh, first step, this first organization to associ- associate yourself with, uh, it created a safe space to be able to explore this. It's no different, I, I say, than, uh, than the work that I did uh, or do with the, uh, the Naked Super Bowl night. This idea of t- kind of taking some of the layers away and making it simple uh, for people to, to kind of explore and work at their own pace and figuring out how they fit into the larger puzzle. Uh, and so with Onyx, our, our goal always is to educate, educate, educate. Uh, there are a lot of questions out there that I think especially young people have about leather and being in the leather community. And so we've run seminars and classes uh, throughout the year uh, to make sure that that's happening. Uh, we also uh, want uh, to empower uh, people to be their true self. And so whatever their kink may be, uh, that they that they not feel judged or feel that uh, they're less than because they have a particular interest or kink they would like to explore. Um, but, uh, you know, I think really the most part is, uh, the, the most important part is this brotherhood uh, and connecting with one another. And so, so long as we're doing that and you take all those other pieces, uh, Onyx will continue to move forward to do that. Uh, yeah, ideally we want to be a bridge, uh, but also we want to be a part of a larger community uh, where everybody feels accepted and feels valued. That's awesome. Yeah. So when you came to LA, or actually, you had your first experience with Onyx out in D.C., is that right? I did. Uh, I remember I went to the Green Lantern, uh, and they were hosting Onyx, uh, Mid-Atlantic Onyx there for that night, uh, and they were doing demos, and it was all on uh, wax play and mm. candle play. Uh, and it was just amazing because I, I think, you know, going into it, I, I clearly remember my mindset being like, oh, fire, wax, 
this is going to be painful. <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want to be in a situation where I feel uh, social pressure. Not that I ever really feel social pressure, but I don't even like the, the, the for people to intimate that they're trying to pressure me because I really right. am kind of independent. Uh, but uh, I do remember walking into the bar and going up the steps uh, to the, the upper bar where they had it closed off for the event uh, and going in and just was just loving it, seeing all my, uh, black and brown brothers together and, you know, talking and educating one another uh, and it actually demonstrating to us, you know, this is what you can do and here's some of your options. And if you don't like this, you could try this. And if you don't like that, here's another option for you. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was magical. Like, I think after that night, I, I was sold. I was just like, these are my people. This is where I belong. I am home. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Like, so your first experience going in there was already experiencing like this energy of family or this energy of, you know, brotherhood. No, I would agree. And I, I certainly think if I had already made the decision to stay and remain in the DC area, uh, I would be very active uh, with uh, Onyx Mid-Atlantic. Uh, but here I am in Southern California. So luckily, you know, there's a chapter here. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was going very well. And I, a, lot, a lot of the same experiences that I had in Washington, D.C., I'm now having here in Southern California. And so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty consistent uh, group of guys and that uh, we try to focus on what our mission is um, and, and have people work and navigate uh, through our programs and how we engage one another uh, in a way uh, that's going to make people feel really good about their leather experience. So as someone who's kind of jumped in, you know, on their own and gone through their own growth and their own, you know, development in, into the leather world through Onyx and, and then seeing your brothers, you know, going through their induction ceremony and kind of being a part of multiple generations at this point, where do you see now the future of Onyx going, at least as far as you're concerned with Onyx Southwest as the president? Sure. Well, I think the future is bright. You know, I, I hope that once we get to a point, a uh, vaccine or cure is found in relation to COVID-19, and we get through these months of having to uh, isolate, uh, that uh, there will be a sense of renewed energy because people will be excited to be back in the bars uh, and to connect in a way uh, that socially allows for all the ways we communicate with one another, whether with our hands and just being in a physical space and picking up body language. Um, all the things that we kind of miss by meeting online, uh, that the, that that new experience of returning back into what we know uh, is important for people to engage in face-to-face, in -face, uh, that it will reignite our commitment uh, to go out and continue to find new members, especially younger members, uh, because we love to teach. Uh, there's a wealth of experience within our membership, and it would be, it would be such a loss if we didn't pass on this information uh, to uh, young people of color interested in leather. Uh, and so we would definitely uh, redouble the effort. Uh, one thing we've been doing since we've been meeting online is continuing to support the, not only the leather community, but the larger LGBTQ community uh, with our fundraising events. So every time we get together, whether it's for a beer bus or a special event or to support a brother who's running for a title, uh, we're always thinking of ways that we can raise money uh, for various different organizations uh, that uh, support our community. Uh, and so I, I imagine we're going to redouble those efforts as well. Um, but uh, most importantly, uh, I think the future of Onyx uh, always is about uh, refocusing on acceptance and letting people uh, explore in a way that empowers them uh, to try different kinks, uh, to reaffirm the kinks that they're very familiar with, 
uh, and to share those experiences with uh, like-minded brothers in a way uh, that can only make us a stronger, more tight-knit group of, uh, group of people working in the leather community. So yeah, that's the future. Awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of, you know, kinks, um, we already know that you are into your butt plug that you have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) My vibrator. vibrator. Um, What are some other kinks or fetishes that you have? Yeah, my, uh, my kinks are very uh, centered around age play uh, for the most part. Like I, I consider that, I consider that to be my core kink. Uh, in part because uh, I think in my 20s, uh, certainly being even younger than that, I was always interested in older guys. And so uh, for me, the the age play thing is that that's just my spot. That's my lane. That's where I feel uh, most like a leather person, I'm a leather man. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I try to focus on that and incorporate that as much as uh, possible. Uh, also, I really do like to, to, to explore with this idea of being a nudist and being an exhibitionist, uh, which is why I host the parties that I mentioned earlier, uh, because uh, not only is it a great way to make connections and to network and uh, to bond with people, uh, but yeah, it speaks to my kink. There's nothing like, you know, free balling and going outside and walking around and just like letting it all fly and stuff. And so, yeah, that's really uh, important to me. Uh, One kink that I like to explore sexually and to do more around is more in the kind of a pig play. Uh, which I've, I've, I, well, here's, here's the thing. So I was at a, a sex play party. Um, <clears throat> it was great. It was hot. It was like basically all black guys, so a lot of leather guys and stuff. Uh, and it was popping. I was like, oh man, this is great. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I meet this guy and he's younger than me, uh, which is great. Uh, very kind of like thug with the beard and you know he looks like he smokes mar- marijuana all the time and very <laughs> different than my persona i tend to be kind of look preppy <laughs> kind of by proper and always doing the right things and following the rules he looked like he broke a couple of rules <laughs> and he was high he had a big ass dick and he just fucked the shit out of me and i was just wow. like oh my god this is like and everybody's watching so i was like oh my gosh you got this this hot guy and everybody's watching uh, and then he just busts right inside me and like, just like, I just feel calm all inside me. And it was just like, oh my God, this is so hot. Like, you know, my mind is blown basically. And I remember when him pulling out and he kind of went, went on and did it about his way and stuff. And I'm laying there on the, on the bed and I'm about to get up. And then another younger guy, like he definitely looked like he was in his twenties, comes over and he starts felching me. And I had never had that done. Never. And, you know, I don't bottom a lot. I tend to, I, I think because I'm tall and I'm a bigger guy, most people like for me to be the top, which I'm totally fine because I'm versatile. Uh, <clears throat> but when I do bottom, like, you know, those I don't get to explore as much because it doesn't happen as much. But when it does and then to have this happen and then have this beautiful, like, clean shaving young boy just like, daddy, I, he just went in and he sucked every little bit of cum that was inside out. Oh and, my then God. We, and then we kissed afterwards and I was like, this is so hot. And as I'm kissing him, we both nutted at the same time. Oh and my so, God. So, but it, it, I, I'm convinced the only reason it was hot, I mean, it already started out pretty hot for me. That's pretty normal for me when I bought him and do that kind of play. But the height of it was him going and having his head between my ass cheeks and just sucking for like dear life and spreading my legs open and just like every drop. And, you know, he'd lift his head up and had come on his tongue. And I was just like, oh, that was just hot. So that's something I would like to explore more. Um, 
And I, I think sometimes we get kind of uh, caught uh, like in our little hangups about what we're willing to do and not to do. Um, and so I consider that a gift um, because not to say that it was something I was looking or wanting to have happen, but because it kind of happened and I don't know if it was an accident or not or how you best describe it. Well, a gift. I'll go back. It was a gift that I, then I felt myself like, okay, I should look into this more. So I, I think I'm at the space now where I, you know, in the right situation. And if I set it up and I feel comfortable that I would do it more, both uh, being uh, passive uh, and aggressive in both positions and stuff. So oh, yeah, I think we're all hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm getting hard just thinking about it. That was oh hot. my God, I winded. Yeah. Okay, so part of this too is, and as I'm an exhibitionist too, is being seen, right? Like people watching yeah. this happen. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. Like I, I love for people to watch. Um, and even uh, I, I, if I had to do a percentage, if it's like 50-50 being watched or watching someone, I'm probably like 75-25. Like, yeah, I'm fine with being watched, but like it doesn't get me going as much as watching other people. Oh, um, really? And, yeah, because I'm very visual. And I think that's what it is. Like when I need to understand and to process my world, it's all visually. I have to write everything. I have to see it. I can hear it. I can feel it. I can even taste it. Uh, but if I don't see it, <laughs> like it just is like it just is, it has a deeper meaning. You're just a very uh, visual person. Yeah, I'm very visual. Yeah, yeah. You know, my my partner similar to that. Um, I remember <clears throat> he's, he's he's into a very specific type of person or type of boy rather. Um, you know that um, like a skinny Latino twink basically is kind of what he's into and. Um, you know, not that he doesn't get along with other people or won't have experiences with other people of different body types, but that's just like his go-to thing, you know? Mm -hmm. And I remember bringing home like this really sexy twink for him. Like I'm not even, you know, historically, I, you know, I myself is like a skinnier Latino guy. I don't really go for people like myself. I go for the daddies or something, but I brought mm -hmm. this boy specifically home like for him and he was just like, oh, I just want to watch. And I'm like, watch what? <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't want to do anything? Like, okay. <laughs> like, I've seen my sex tape videos. There's nothing to see. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but yeah, then when we first got together and, and we started you know, playing with other people, I was just like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't realize that that was a thing, you know, mm -hmm. until I realized, you know, there are people that like to just watch sometimes. Yeah. No, there was a point uh, that I was back on the East Coast and uh, I was in Baltimore. Uh, and so, you know, I had my little spots where I knew that there was always going to be actions, um, actions, especially after the bars closed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, I remember, I, I remember and think of how that the exhibitionism also becomes uh, a doorway to participate as, as well. Uh, but you, you don't go into it feeling like motivated, like you have to do something. It's, it's nice to know that if at the end of it and it's all finished, that if I only just watch, I'm totally cool with it. Um, right. But I'm in this park, and so these two guys are fucking in the park and stuff, and it's dark, and I'm sure they're like like wild animals, like squirrels and rats. <laughs> Those are wild <laughs> animals for me running around. And, uh, you know, and I was just like, oh, my God, this is so hot. And so the guy who's getting fucked, he's like, he's like waving me over, and I'm just like, no, I just want to watch, I want to watch. And then finally I was like, okay, I I'll I'll participate. And so he wanted to suck me off while he's getting fucked. And so I stepped closer and I pulled my dick out and he's just like sucking. And the guy's just like, he's getting more excited, like by seeing my dick out and getting sucked that he's even like, he's like, 
I'm at an interview for being a top and I'm going to fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> he was just like, I need to put my end game up because this is happening. It's popping here in the woods. <laughs> and, and so it was great. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm in the exity. And then a the fourth guy shows up. So he comes over. Oh my God, where and- is this park? <laughs> well, I'll save the city. It was in Baltimore. So, oh, a lot of <laughs> yeah, Baltimore be popping. Uh, and so, uh, the fourth guy shows up, uh, and I'm thinking he's like me. He he just wants to be a warrior and watch. And he, he did uh, for like a, a good five minutes, like standing watching us. And then all of a sudden, at the top of his voice, he goes, You guys know what time it is. And I'm like looking at him and the other two guys, I was like, what are you talking? He goes, you know what time it is. And he starts shaking around his hand. And then so the guy that was the top fucking, he just bolts. He starts running. So it's just the bottom and myself like standing there like, what is he talking about? He's like, you know what time it is. And apparently he had a gun in his pocket, but I never saw the gun. But he's like holding it like he's wearing a hoodie. Uh, which was like a zipper hoodie. And so there's a pocket on the side and he, you can see either it's his finger or the barrel of a gun. I didn't want to find out, but I was like, I, I've been to the park long enough to know that I'm not going to have like hundreds of dollars on me. So, you know, I had a couple of bucks on me and I just gave them to him and walked away. But when I got home, I had the best orgasm. I was just like, <laughs> wait a second, only I- hold on. You got mugged while you were fucking a dude. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute, Brandon. This has not happened to you. <laughs> I don't think this is an everyday experience. I've never heard of this. Wait a you second. Should, you should start a podcast oh, so I can tell these stories. <laughs> I am like dying here. Wait. So I wonder if that was that guy's fetish. Like maybe this was a role play thing, and they had it all played out the whole time, and you were just the guest that showed well, up that night. And I will admit that I do have a, a, a thing for the bad boy kind of thing because I think I can save them, I can protect them, and be like, you know, you don't have to do this. And so I, it does get uh, sexualized for me a, a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think he was—he clearly. If he knew the spot, because I think it's very well known among gay among gay men that this is the spot you go if you want to fuck and play around and stuff. So the fact that he felt comfortable enough to even be back there, like I think most straight identified guys would be like, I'm not going to be in the middle of the woods watching gay guys fucking or whatever stuff like that. Right. Um, but clearly he knew the lay of the land, uh, even probably even more so than I did, um, because he just the way he navigated. Anyway, but <laughs> yeah, the gun thing. Like I wouldn't say I was mugged. I was say I would. I didn't feel mugged. I felt like it's like oh, it added to sense. Like it, it was the same. It was the same sensation you get when you're fucking or you're messing around and you get caught, which uh-huh. I've had happened uh-huh. a couple of times. Uh, that your adrenaline just spikes and it's just like this is something I'm totally not anticipating. So my dick was even more hard. And so in fact, I don't even think I waited to get home. I'm pretty sure I jerked off in the car after all that happened. I got back to the car, locked the doors. I was like. It was a close together that just jerked off one. Um, but- <laughs> I was excited to go fuck in the park, but now I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think well, I think there's risk in everything that we do and stuff, and so uh, I don't do it as much now. But I, you know, I wouldn't. I think once this COVID thing is over, uh, you know, I think anything's on the table, especially the first couple of months once <laughs> we get past all of this. But yeah, I, I loved it. It was great. Uh, you know, was I happy that? I had to give out money out of my pocket with somebody who had possibly an, ima- an imaginary gun in his pocket. Maybe could have gone worse. Maybe, but in the end, it felt like a good thing. I love it. It's in my, it's in my head as a memory, and I got a good nut off of it. So there you have wow. it. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. 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 Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, speaking of, you know, kind of dangerous situations, uh, you know, and luckily that kind of worked in your favor. You didn't leave, you know, getting shot at or anything like that. And, um, but what would be your advice to people coming into the scene for the first time and just exploring like kink and fetish and maybe sex in the park and stuff like that? Yeah, I think the number one you can, thing you can do, and this is what I did, <clears throat> and it worked for me, is research, research, research. And so, yeah, of course, we want you to go to the Onyx Southwest uh, webpage, because uh, there's tons of information on that. And if you've never been, the uh, address is uh, onyxsouthwest.com, so O-N-Y-X-S-W.com. And you'll see my picture up there, which is nice. Uh, and uh, But a whole bunch of information about what it means to be in BDSM and to explore your kink and resources of uh, places that uh, be on our website that you can go to. And one of those resources uh, is the uh, Leather Archives and Museum. Uh, They're based in Chicago. So that summer that I I spent uh, in Chicago before I moved to California was great, uh, not only because uh, Chicago and the Midwest in general has a really active and visible uh, leather community, but there is a Leather Archives Museum there. And I remember spending days there and it's, it's not too expensive. And so it's just on multiple floors. And so, you know, you go in and there's a movie theater to watch uh, the, the history, the, the visual history of the leather community. Uh, and then there are all these exhibits, but the best part are the books. They have a full library of uh, material that you can check out and, you know, things that I've seen, things I didn't know existed. Uh, and I just read as much as I possibly uh, could. And when I moved and, and left uh, Chicago and went back home, uh, you know, I just made a point of continuing to do, do that. And it's just a great resource. Uh, you know, I tend to be uh, intellectual in my thinking. And so I need to understand it at that level before I get into the feelings and all the other stuff in the play. Uh, and so this is a great way to kind of get started, to, to put some context, uh, to put some theory behind the execution of being within the leather community. And so, yeah, I, I highly suggest that. And my final piece of advice, of course, is to go to a national event. I think for a lot of uh, people, especially young people, to go to a, a leather bar by yourself uh, may seem daunting. Um, and so, again, all the stuff that we kind of carry in our head, they'll be like, well, you know, my, my preacher said I shouldn't do this, and my mom said I shouldn't do this, and all that stuff. Uh, that can get in the way of you really trying to explore and going to your local leather bar. But when I find that if you have the ability uh, to fly uh, to D.C. for a mid-Atlantic uh, leather or to fly to Chicago, uh, for international Mr. Leather, uh, that those, those are great opportunities because you have a confluence of uh, people in different experiences around leather in one space uh, for the better part of a few days and that you can meet people and network and ask questions uh, and party on top of that. And mm-hmm. it's just great. So uh, I think if you're not into like doing the whole, because I'm a little bit of a nerd, I, I like to sit in libraries. <laughs> uh, and if that's not your thing, this would be the second choice, which is to go to a national event. It will change your life. Awesome, awesome. Well, how do we uh, how do we get connected with uh, you? How do we get connected with Onyx? Yeah, the easiest way to uh, find me uh, is on Facebook, and you can message me anytime. Uh, my full name again is uh, Wilcox Onyx, so it's W I L C O X Onyx O N Y X. And again, uh, please visit our website. I think that's a great resource and is another way you can contact myself and other brothers uh, associated with the membership. Uh, and again, that address is uh, www.onyxsw.com, onyxsouthwest.com. 
Awesome. Awesome. Before we go, do you have any uh, last statements you'd like to make before we wrap up? Well, Brenda, I just want to say thank you so much for inviting me to participate uh, in this podcast. Uh, you know, I feel like I've only known you a short time, but I feel like also I've known you for years, <laughs> uh, which uh, says a lot to the quality of the work that you're doing. <clears throat> My hope is, is that uh, 100 million years, 1 billion years, maybe even 10 billion years from now, uh, when our sun uh, has burned off all the helium and is going is going to grow into a red giant. Uh, some <laughs> aliens are going to come in and they're going to swoop down to Earth and take all of our data and and be archaeologists and find all the stuff. And as they're looking for all the Earth data and all about Earthlings, they're going to find your podcast. They're going to hear this recording and they go, "Man, to be a gay black man living in Southern California doing the leather experience, someone <laughs> was doing that." His existence was the resistance. It was all great. We love, love it. it. These people were amazing. And it'll all be there. Because you know, once you put it on the internet. It's all out there. Mm-hmm. It's all out there for you. So, thank you. Thank you so <laughs> much. So, I appreciate it. You're the best. Thanks. Have a good one. You too now. Before we go, I'd like to remind all of you that in the midst of COVID-19, there are several organizations in the Los Angeles leather community that are here to help. The LELC Cares, Bullet Bar Pantry, and LA Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need of assistance, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay kinky. Okay. Oh, 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 oh,